0: Let's stand and open our Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 17 through 20. Then said I unto them, Ye see the distress that we are in, and how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we may be no more reproach. Then I told them in the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me, and they said, "Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. When Samballat and Tobiah and Geshem heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us, and said, "What is this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? Then answered I them, and said to them, the God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build, but ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. I want to give you just a short introduction to what is going on. Most already know when we come to the book of Nehemiah that in 587 B.C., the Babylonians had invaded Judah, and they'd taken... Many captives, they destroyed the city, entirely destroyed the city, destroyed the temple. About 70 years later, King Cyrus gave the Jews permission to go back. Zerubbabel took the first group and they rebuilt the temple. Now, they didn't do it as Zerubbabel hoped. They got the foundation done and then the people got distracted and the work stopped for a while. But anyways, it was rebuilt, but now we see years later, almost another 60 or 70 years later, that the walls still have not been rebuilt or repaired, and we see great disarray, discouragement. Nehemiah hears about the condition of Jerusalem and the fact that the walls hadn't been rebuilt. He weeps, he mourns, he prays, and then he decides, I'm going to go back with the permission of the king. And help rebuild these walls. I want to talk for just a few minutes this morning as we go into 2013 about building and battling. Because we see everything that's going on. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of fear In, in Christianity. We're looking at society. And there's a general disdain now that is sweeping this nation for Christians and Christianity in general. And if we're not careful, instead of keeping our focus on God, we'll adjust our focus and begin to look at all the problems and everything that's going on around us. And listen, God is still on the throne. God knows exactly what he's doing. He has a plan. He has a purpose. And although there are many churches going backwards, I do not believe this is time for us to retreat, downsize, go backwards. I believe this is time for us to go forward. But in that, we have to understand our job is not just building. It's building and battling. And here's what I've seen. We've seen a group that decided to build and they stopped battling. And that pretty much means you have to abandon Bible principle and go the way of the modern neo-evangelical and say, listen, we can grow. It's just going to cost us principle. Or there's another group that says, Forget growth, let's just battle. And they want to fight everyone. I mean, they'll fight the postman when he comes by just for a good fight. And listen, I don't think our job is to do either of those. I think our job is to do both. And that's not easy, but here's what we're going to see in the life of Nehemiah when he rebuilt this wall. His life consisted of both building and battling. Now, here's the interesting thing about Nehemiah. He was not a general contractor. He was not a builder. This was not his field of experience. Look what it says in chapter 1, verse 11. O Lord, I beseech thee. Here's his prayer. Let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant, to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name. Prosper, I pray thee, thy servant, this day. Grant him mercy. Now, why was he praying, O oh, God, prosper me. Give me mercy. Look what he says at the end for I was the king's cupbearer. He said, "Uh, listen, you know, my experience was in eating food and drinking wine. So I sat at the table and said, King, what are you going to eat next? Slide me a plate. I'll test it for you. If I live, you also shall live. So his life consisted of eating good meal after good meal every day, every week, every month, every year. Now, When that's your job, it's easy to get out of shape. (laughs) He sees the need, gets the burden, makes a decision, stands up and says, let's rise up and build. Now, as church members, here's the vision I want over the next year, if we could get Every single person, I'm not going to be happy with 10% or 20%. And I know a lot of times pastors do that because of lack of involvement. They say, you know, if I could just get 15 people out of my congregation, I'm sorry, I can't set my sights that low. My vision is a little greater than that. I'm hoping for and praying for and shooting for 100% cooperation. Amen. Here's what I believe in. I believe if every person caught the vision and said, I can help build not just my home, not just my marriage, not just my children, but a ministry of this church, what would happen if everyone got on board and decided to be Bob the Builder, amen? Decided I'm going to help build. Now, you shouldn't be involved in Satan's work, which is tearing down and destroying too many Christians are already involved in that too many Christians are sitting on the sideline too many Christians are watching too many Christians think their job is the job of the general inspector where they sit back and say well you guys build and then I'm going to sit around and criticize what you what you've done and tell you what you did wrong yeah. Yeah. you know if you're involved in criticism normally you're not involved in any building because when you start building you understand how difficult it is to do things properly yeah. As missionaries, normally you're not just the pastor and the youth leader and the song director and the choir leader and the inventor of programs, but you're also the general contractor and project manager if you ever built. Now most of us don't have experience, Matt's mind works that way, mine does not. So we drew up a building plan, and we were building a 400-seat auditorium. And the rest of our building, we had limited space, so we had to build the Tower of Babel just to get everything in that we wanted in that little area. And when we started doing all that construction, they said, Pastor, do you know what you're doing? No, but by the time we finish, I sure will know what I'm doing. (laughs) And we made a lot of phone calls, and I talked to architects, and I talked to Matt, and we... We'd, we'd, we even brought over men from Tula to help us in the project. But thankfully in the end, you can go to Pachuca and you can see this building and say, you know what, somehow God blessed that whole project. Nothing has fallen over. Nothing is falling in. The beams are up. The concrete's been poured. The walls are straight. The foundation is sure. And here's what we do in Christianity. We sit back too often and say, well, pastor, I'm the cupbearer. I don't have the gift. I'm not the general contractor. I don't know how to do that. I'll tell you how you build. One step at a time. And I think too often we're sitting around waiting for everyone else to step up and saying, well, you know what? God wants this group right here to build the prayer ministry and to build up the club ministry and build up the nursery ministry and build up the Sunday school and build up every single ministry of this church from the school to the Sunday school and the clubs and the Spanish department. Everything we do here is a collective team effort. And God did not save you, disciple you, and call you to be a member of the bench. You should be an active builder involved in the team. Now, I know Steve Mohan played tailback in high school. And uh, you know the real meaning of that, right? Every time he went to run out on the field, the coach looked at him and said, Steve, get your tailback on the bench. There are no tellbacks in Christianity. All of us should be saying, this. I want to be part of building something. Now look what Nehemiah's team consisted of in Nehemiah chapter three. So he was not the only one that was kind of out of position or out of place. He had to leave his comfort zone in order to build and he gathers together a team that had to leave their comfort zone. Look what it said in chapter one. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with the brethren and priests and they build it. So the pastors, the priests, got involved. I guarantee you this, these priests did not know what they were doing, but they got involved and said, we can learn on the job and work hard and make sure this happens. Look what it says, and next unto him. Now, I like this phrase in chapter 3, next unto him. Think about that for a minute. It's repeated over and over in chapter 3, which means... When this man and this team were building next unto him, there was another team, another group of workers. So it wasn't a bunch of men sitting around watching the experienced do their job. It was a group of people that knew very little about building. They said, Nehemiah, you help us out. You tell us how to mix the mortar, where to find the rock, how to place the bricks, and we'll get this job done. And they did not because they had a bunch of professionals, but because they had a bunch of willing hearts. Look what it says in verse 2. Next unto him builded the man of Jericho. This is a neighboring city. Now let me ask you this. Do you think everyone there in Jerusalem was helping rebuild the walls? No. Isn't that a shame? Isn't it amazing? This happens in Mexico. This happens in the foreign fields. And this happens in churches in the United States and all across the world where you'll find there will be people willing to come from other cities and states to help build this ministry while people in this ministry won't lift a finger to build their own church. Men from Jericho left their city to come over and help those in Jerusalem while those in Jerusalem did nothing to help themselves. Look what it says in verse 3. But the fish gate did the sons of Hassanah build. The whole family was involved in building. Verse 4, you find that phrase, next unto them, next unto them, next unto them. Verse 5, next unto them. Now there were some that didn't get involved. You find those in verse 5. The Tekwites uh, repaired, but their nobles put not their necks to the work of their Lord. I don't want to get dirty. You know, if I get involved and I put up a section of the wall and I don't know what I'm doing, someone is likely to walk by here and criticize that I have a stone sticking out too far in one place too far in and the mortar's not mixed just perfectly. Yes, did you know when you get involved in building, you set yourself up to be criticized. Prepare for it. Now, the best way to avoid criticism in life is to do what? Say nothing, do nothing. Be nothing. I gave you the three keys. Unless you say nothing, do nothing, you be nothing, if you get up and build, if you rise up and get involved, guess what? Someone's going to criticize you. That's not even an issue. That's not even a problem. That's called real life. You face the facts and say those that criticize are not involved. Those that criticize don't even know what they're talking about. Those that criticize like to consider themselves Experts, you know, I don't have pastors criticizing me. People in my profession don't criticize me, it's those who've never pastored that criticize, those with no job experience. You know what? Don't take that personal, don't get upset, don't become distraught when you get involved, it doesn't matter what ministry you're involved in, but when you get ready to build and you say, okay, I'm going to help build something in my local church. The thing that normally stops average Christian is the thought of if and when I do, someone is going to criticize me. Yep, you're right. It's not even an issue. Verse 8. Next in him repaired Aziel, the son of Har-hia, of the goldsmiths, and next to him also repaired Hananiah, the son of one of the apothecaries, and they fortified Jerusalem under the broad wall. Now you have the goldsmiths and the perfume makers. How many of you, if you decided to build a house, would go out and hire a goldsmith and a perfume maker? Probably not. Now you say, well, I don't understand what was wrong with Nehemiah. Why didn't he go out and find some masons, some professional masons? You want to know why? He couldn't find any willing. And in the work of God, you say, well, why don't you get someone that's a professional? Because usually those are professionals, don't have the time, don't have the desire. you got to find someone with a willing heart. And you just say, what do you do? I make perfume. Good. That means you can mix them in. Too many Christians are sitting around saying, preacher, I'm a perfume maker. What in the world can I do in the work of God? You can step in, volunteer, and say, I'm going to invest 12 months of my life in build. Pick a ministry. I don't care what ministry. Pick any ministry. This church has dozens of ministries. Just pick Any single ministry and say I'm going to invest 12 months of my life in building and helping to build this ministry. Why is it in a church of 350 people, we got 250 saying, boy, I sure hope that a professional will rise up out of this congregation and make that happen. That's not even Bible. You're going to find something in your Bible. God uses volunteers, not professionals. So what do you do? Make perfume. Good. Great. You're going to make a great wall builder. (laughs) Now, what they did in putting this wall around the city in less than a couple of months, entirely finishing this wall, it's unheard of. And what's more amazing is they did not have... A team of professionals, but rather a group of volunteers who knew absolutely nothing about what they were doing. They simply got on-the-job training. Look what it says, verse 20. After him, Baruch, the son of Zabiah, earnestly repaired. You say, what talent do I need? Earnest, willing, heart. That's it. Now, go back with me chapter 1, verse 3. You know where a builder starts? It all starts with a burden. Look what it says in verse 3. They said to me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. And let me just say this. Listen, there's only a remnant left. You you look at our nation, and folks, I hate to be a pessimist. I, I like to consider myself a realist. But if you look across this nation, there's only a remnant left. Don't come to me, listen, about... Uh, There are more professing Christians in the United States of America in 2012 than there have ever been in the history of the world. And we are a more degraded, depraved, distressed, depressed nation than ever before. Professor Christians, not possessing Christians. I'm talking about born-again believers with the Holy Spirit living inside of them, helping them live a godly, holy life. There's a small remnant left. Amen? Amen. Now, if you don't understand the condition of the United States of America in 2012, you got your hands over your eyes. I mean, we are going to hell at high speed. We are further from God than we've ever been, more hateful of that book, more despising of Christianity. We are a disaster. There's just a remnant left. Look what it says in chapter 4, verse 6. Here's what's sad of these groups that traveled back, went back to Jerusalem. Thousands stayed in Babylon. Now, why did so many stay in Babylon? They didn't want to leave their comfort, they didn't want to leave the safety. To go to Jerusalem would be to put their families in danger. You know why so many Christians aren't involved in building the work of God? There are too many excuses you'd have to actually sacrifice a comfort. So thousands stayed behind, and it took so much longer to do what should have already been done simply because the comforts and the conveniences were found in Babylon, not Jerusalem, and this is the generation that simply does not want to sacrifice any comforts or conveniences. Christianity has to be convenient for me. Christianity has never been convenient. Look what it says. Chapter 4, verse 6. It's not just a burden, but it's a willingness to work. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together, and half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. You know what building takes? It's a long and tedious process And we started building. Here's the problem with work, too. Originally, initially, at the very beginning, it's a lot of work, and most of it is not even seen. You're laying the foundation. I remember when Brother Camilleri came down, we first bought our lot, and this lot, someone else had already planned to build, and they had dug the foundation and never put in the foundation. So the, the piece of land was not even level. It was just a disaster. And then people would come and throw their garbage there. And there was some rebar sticking out of the ground. And I took Brother Cameron out of there. Now, you have to understand, at that time, they had already made the plans to make that a busy avenue, but there was no pavement, so it was just a dirt street, an ugly lot... And when Preacher came down there with me and we were praying over it, we pulled up. He thought I was joking. He thought I was going to say, you know, this is what happens in Mexico. They start something and they don't finish. And he was laughing at me. And I said, Preacher, this is what we're going to build. And he said, "Uh, really? This is what you just bought? Now, you want to know the difference was, in my mind, I wasn't seeing that ugly piece of land. I was seeing the construction finished, the building done, and people walking in the front door. Our visions were very different. So he looked and he laughed. But we understood from the first time we put a shovel out there, and we did a lot of the work ourselves. Matter of fact... I mixed enough concrete that I gave myself a hernia and needed a surgery. Building takes a lot of work. And you can ask, Matt, how many times have we grabbed a shovel and mixed concrete till your shoulders felt like they are going to fall off your body? And you carry bricks. And listen, in Mexico, it's old style. They don't have the machinery to help you out. And I remember when we did our second floor, now you can understand... The uh, first level of our second floor starts at 20 feet up. And we had to put 2,500 blocks to initiate the project up 20 feet. Now, you tell me how to do that when you don't have a ladder. you got just a few hands for help. So we created a harness and a cage that would hold four of those blocks. And we harnessed up. Michaela's laughing because she saw us do this. We harnessed up four guys at a time. Now, you could only do four or five trips because it'll wear you out. We'd put the harness on those four mules, and then we'd snap the whip. No, we'd say, let's go, and you take off running. Well, by the time you get four blocks, 20 feet in the air, the last person in line, he is literally lifted off the ground. His feet are spinning in the air. Then you back them up, put four more blocks on there and you crack the whip and they take off and they lift the four blocks. Now do that until you get 2,500 blocks up, 20 feet in near. You realize building is not an easy process. Now here's what, here's what people do when we talk about the work of God. It's easy to look out and criticize. It's easy to criticize any ministry, whether it's the clubs or the nursery, but until you get back there, until you work it, until you run it, until you build it, You don't understand the cost, the investment, the sacrifice. And here's why most won't make the commitment, or if they do make the commitment, it lasts but a few short days or weeks or months, because when you get in, you understand, suddenly you're paying hundreds of dollars out of your pocket, and it's not just taking a Wednesday night, but now you're understanding it takes a Monday night and a Tuesday night, and then a Sunday morning meeting, and then you say, boy, it's consuming my time, and it's consuming my energy. Yeah, that's the price that dozens and dozens have paid for dozens of years, to help your children, to help your family, to build this ministry. Here's what Nehemiah said. I don't care if you're a perfume maker. The women got involved. A priest, a noble. Come help us build. But you have to have a mind to work. Now, what are you building? We should be building in our homes. We should be building through discipleship. We should be building ministries. Now, here's the question. Look what it says in chapter 4, verse 2. I want you to look at three or four questions. Chapter 4, verse 2. He spake before his brethren. Now, here's what's happening in chapter 4. The enemy comes, and they start to criticize. They start to laugh. They start to mock. They start to fight against them because here's what the enemy wants to do. Look what it says in verse 8 they conspired all of them together to come and to what? To fight against Jerusalem, to hinder it. Look what it says in verse 11. Our adversary said, They shall not know, neither see, till we come in the midst among them, and slay them, and cause the work to cease. Here's what the enemy wants to do. Defeat and destroy the work of God. Now, when you get involved in building, the problem is, You don't just have the hassle and the headache of building. Then you get the hassle and headache of battling. And that's what most people don't expect. I don't know how many people I've seen over the course of the past 21 years that volunteered, got involved, got in the middle of it. They weren't surprised by the investment. They weren't surprised by the work. They weren't surprised by the hassle. They weren't surprised uh, by the cost. They were surprised that once they got in and they got halfway through the project and they were building, that suddenly they had to battle while they were building. They said, wait a minute. I signed up and lined up to build, but I didn't sign up to battle. And the worst part is, normally it's not battling the flesh, it's not battling the devil, it's not battling the world. It's battling other Christians that turn on you, or criticize, or attack, or undermine. And as soon as Nehemiah gets involved, it wasn't just gathering this group together, it wasn't just getting the material, it wasn't the cost, the involvement, the expense, and the hassle, but Sanballat and Tobiah show up to fight against him. Now look what he has to do in verse 17, chapter 4, verse 17. They which build it on the wall... And they that bear burdens with those that laid it, everyone with his hands wrought in the work with the other hand. What did he have to do? He held a weapon. How many of you want to build with a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other? That's awkward. Now, here are the questions that Samballot and Tobiah were asking about Nehemiah and asking about those builders. But really, these are the questions that we have to ask ourselves when we talk about building the work of God. Look what it says in verse 2. And he spake before his brethren, the army of Samaria, and said, What do these feeble Jews? Now, Christian, let me ask you something this morning. When the world looks at us, when the world looks at Capital City Baptist Church, you know what they see? They look at this bunch as a bunch of feeble Christians with no potential, no future, no possibilities. And they say, "That hey, won't last long. Don't worry about it. It'll all come tonight. Now, here are the questions. What do these people do? Will they uh, what? the first question will they fortify themselves that means you're going to have to protect yourself and understand you're in a battle you have a fight on your hands now that question was quickly answered because when they came down to fight against Nehemiah and his men Nehemiah said here's what we're going to do we're not going home we're not going to stop the work we're not going to panic we're not going to lock ourselves in a room and try to formulate a plan I'm going to provide you swords swords yes you have to have a trial in one hand and a sword in the other and here's where Christianity has stopped we are at the crossroads in 2012 because we want to build and we don't want to battle and listen principle is a battle doing right is a battle rearing your children according to God's word is a battle living holy is a battle And it's always been a battle. And don't think it's some strange thing because suddenly we're facing pressure in Christianity. Christianity has faced pressure go all the way back to the time of Christ. Read chapter 11 of Hebrews where you see people sawn asunder for the word of God. I don't think we're facing that level of persecution. But because we don't want to battle... listen. If you don't stand for anything, you will fall for everything. That is today's Christianity. We just don't want to battle. We want to please everyone. You have a personality that's fighting against you. Your battle is not even against this world, your battle is against yourself because in your personality, you don't like to battle. Don't raise your hand this morning, but how many of you this morning hate confrontation? You know what this world constantly provides? Confrontation. And here's what Nehemiah said. We will fortify ourselves and be willing to go to battle and yet build. Now, here's what they didn't do. They didn't put down their trowels, grab swords and shields, form an army and say, let's go kill them all. Right. There's a big difference. And that's what we have in Christianity. We have a group that's dropped the trowel. They stopped building. We were just in a church that used to run 2,500, 3,000, be known across this nation. And now there's not 500 in that auditorium because at some point that pastor got so caught up in the battle, he put down the trowel and decided to make his whole life about a battle. That's not your job. Your job is to build and to battle whether that's in your home or in your ministry or in your marriage, you've got to say, I've got to do both at the same time. They're both difficult, they're both necessary, and they both must be done simultaneously. Here's the problem. Look what it says in verse 4, 4 verse 4. Hear our God, for we are despised. That's what most Christians don't like. So, let me see we're despised So we get together, the psychologists, and say, we're despised. We don't want to battle. Let's repackage ourselves so we don't have to build a battle. We want to just build. So how about if we repackage ourselves in a more desirable manner so we can put down the sword? You know Christianity's done. They don't want the battle. So let's just repackage. That's key word of 2012 in Christianity. And here's what they've done. They've taken the world's package, put it over the church to disguise the church and avoid the battle. Your job is to build into battle. We don't have balanced ministries because we're singular in our focus and we decide, okay, which do I like the most? That's what I will concentrate on doing. No, I'm sorry. The work of God is not that easy. That's why you have so few doing it. Because you have to build and battle. This. I don't care if you work in the Christian school. I don't care if you're winner. I don't care if you work in the junior church or the Spanish ministry. I don't care what ministry you work in. Guess what you get to do? You get to build and to battle. And here's what people do when they jump to a ministry. Their eyes go wide and they have ambition. And they're thinking about the vision of that ministry. And they're all excited. And pastor, we're going to build up this ministry. And bless God, we're going to do it for the cause of Christ. And we're going to see things happen. And then halfway through, they realize. It's more of a battle than they thought. They brought a back scratcher instead of a sword. Well, you know what you're gonna do? You're gonna start scratching everyone's back and before long you stop building. You have to do both. And Nehemiah came by, gave each one of those men a trowel and a sword, and the enemy said, uh, let's see, if they're gonna the enemy knew the requirement for building. The enemy said, what do you think? Are they actually going to fortify themselves? Nehemiah answered that question. But how about you? If you're going to build, you better be ready for battle. Look at the next question. Will they sacrifice? You know what we want to do 2012? Build with no sacrifice. We want to build. We need to build. I'm tired of the parking lot problem and the lack of space and the need for a gym. We have to do something. Our only solution is another building. And as we look at a church and we say we want a bigger auditorium, we need more parking. None of those things are free. It is going to take on our side some level of sacrifice Why don't you read the book of Nehemiah? Look at their financial condition. Deplorable. How in the world were they going to build this great wall? Pastor, we don't have the resources. We don't have the experience. We don't have the professionals. We don't have the money. We simply can't do it. And a cupbearer came into town and said, I want the perfume makers and the goldsmiths and the women and the children and the priests. I want everyone to come over here and grab a break. We're going to build here was the question that was asked the builders. Will they sacrifice? Number three, will they make an end in a day? Are they going to stick it out? Are they going to make it long term? Because everyone makes it short term. Mom, Dad, I want to learn how to play the piano. And two months later, I hate the piano. Go practice. I don't want to break. I want to play the flute. And you'll stop that in two months. And suddenly, they want to play the violin. I thought you loved the piano and loved the flute. No, Mom, I've always loved the violin. Thank God you can't afford one, but I love the violin. You know why? Because everyone wants to finish the task and be a professional and sound good in two months. And life just doesn't work out that way. Building is a process. Ask Mackey or one of these men that work in construction. And some of these projects take years to complete. And huge crews working night and day because there's always something more to do, always another headache, always another setback. And when you're building, here's the three words, key words that everyone has to understand. Adapt, adjust, overcome. Because if you can't adapt, adjust, and overcome, something's going to come your way that knocks you out of the water and you're going to say, no, I I can't fix that. I can't repair that. I can't make that happen. And here's what happens in building. You go into a school class or you go into a nursery. You go into the Spanish ministry. You get involved in something and the next thing you know, well, we need you on a Tuesday night. We need you to finish that visual and we are having a special meeting on Saturday night and we need an additional $40. Oh, wow, you know, I'm going to have to tell him I'm just worn out. You're worn out after six weeks? And here's what the enemy said. When they looked at Nehemiah and his crew, they said, don't worry about them. Those are goldsmiths and perfume makers. Give them three weeks of lifting rock and mixing mortar, they're done. Give them a shovel, let them develop a few blisters on their hands. Will they, look at the next question, will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish which are burned? Say, preacher, what's that mean? Can they make something out of nothing? Now, here's the question, folks. You look around Thank God for the building we have. But the world would come and say, they, they don't have much. They don't have much in the bank. They don't have much of property. Look at the rubbish. And when Nehemiah went to Jerusalem, he looked at the rubbish and said, man, we got it. Boy, do we got this going. And they said, what do we got going? Man, we got a wall going. We got a wall going. Yeah. Here's my question. How many would at least pray about and say, God, I want to dedicate 12 months to building. I don't care if that's prayer. You say, I'm going to help build up the prayer ministry of this church. I'm going to help build up the soul the ministry of this church. I'm going to help build it. Hey, if you're already involved in a ministry, I want to build that ministry, take it to another level, make it better than it's ever been. And I want to focus 12 months of my life. I don't care if it's a school or the Sunday school or the nursery, or the prayer, or the soldering, or the RTP. Here's my question to you. What can we build out of the rubbish? If every person is saying, I'm not a professional, but I'm willing to learn on the job, I'll get involved, and I understand it will require some sacrifice.